Today we have a very special guest joining us, Florence Drummond. Florence is a Dwarve Butapi woman and network founder turned entrepreneur. She's creating a platform for Indigenous women in mining and resources in Australia in order to continue to facilitate conversations between this important stakeholder group and the mining industry as a whole. She's also organically inviting international groups in who share similar values. Florence is now developing her presence in the business world by establishing entities in far-reaching opportunities such as modular camp infrastructure options, local organic sanitizer manufacturing, and metal waste solutions. Her interest in the space mining conversation is one on the horizon for 2022 and beyond. Thanks again for joining us on The Rocks. If you like what you hear and want to catch past conversations, please make sure to subscribe. And let's dive in. Well, Florence, thank you so much for joining me at the end of the day in Australia, your time and and early here in the US. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much for having me with you all. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And just a shout out of a thank you to Beatrice, another On the Rocks podcast guest who connected us up. Thank you, Beatrice, for putting us together. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the, the value of networking. I've loved um, speaking with Beatrice through the, through the past as well and just amazing minds across the globe. So very, very grateful. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about what you've been working on the last few months in the mining industry. Yeah, definitely. So with with my space down here in Australia, we've, we've really worked along around uh, the Indigenous engagement space and Indigenous participation for women in particular. Created an, a network for women back a few years ago when I was an operator myself. So I really loved bringing that conversation to life and connecting to other women who are around. It was just so fascinating because there's so many amazing minds that are out there that we just don't know about. I love Love the stories that we hear every day, but had to kind of grow up a little bit around that and, and mature that conversation and become a, a real business person. But from that, you know, it's been the most fantastic learning curve, and I've you know developed some really great partnerships over the last six months. Um, through sanitizers, um, modular housing as well with AI, um, and some some waste management as well. So some really cool stuff, cutting edge, and yeah, just some very very good things that we're excited to bring to the market. Very very cool, and and I would love to hear. A little bit more about what you're focused on with regard to Indigenous women in the mining industry in Australia, because I think it's people may make assumptions that it's very similar to Indigenous problem sets or opportunities in in other countries, but I'm sure there are unique challenges and opportunities in Australia when it comes to that. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think you're you're right there on on both things because there are, there are so many similarities in terms of our cultures, the dynamics of our cultures and our relationships, which I've really loved exploring as well over the last couple of years. Uh, specifically in Latin America, when we travelled there uh, a couple of years ago, that was amazing because. Yes, there was a language barrier, but we were so alike in so many ways. And it was beautiful because we were on the other side of the country and we felt like we were with family. And that was the most beautiful thing for us. But um, but in terms of saying that as well, yes, uniqueness in terms of location, but also like that real localized type character as well of what we have here. So it's been an amazing conversation to, to have and to, to bring to life, like I said before, um, but also to bring a lot more other women along with us as well. I think that's been the most important responsibility for us as, as a group. In my experience working in, in countries where I'm out in remote areas, what always stands out to me about Australia is just how massive it is. When you have this idea of, you know, working with local communities, you really have to in Australia, right? I mean, because you're in many cases out in the middle of nowhere, you know, you really have to work closely with the people who are in your mind site or your exploration area. 
Definitely. And, you know, as an Indigenous woman, when I you know first started talking about this, it was actually quite confronting because, you know, being an Indigenous woman and bringing this conversation to life and also being supportive of mining but but the benefits that can come from mining that was challenging because if you think of our cultural obligations to country that is you know number one careful country right and for us to be in industry and saying look i like working in industry it's really changed my life in terms of my financial stability that was challenging because it wasn't only just to you know non-indigenous folk or other stakeholders out there but it was with our own communities so that was like really challenging because it challenges your own personal values and you know what what you need to do to keep on moving forward and and that continues to be a, a an interesting conversation but what we also need to understand like you said Australia being a very big country and then the the globe as a whole with many other indigenous peoples it is very contextual so that's where that localized solution needs to be needs to come forward for me personally, I became an entrepreneur because I wanted to continue to work with my husband. I met my husband working together, doing an exploration program in Afghanistan. And it was wanting to to stay in a working partnership with Mark that led me to start my first company. And I often hear surprise from people in the industry from about people like us uh, who decide to go the more entrepreneurial route. There's this traditional kind of ladder of how people move up in the industry. And for you, I'm sure having, uh, having worked on the ground, right? Like there are expectations about where you would want to go with your career. Absolutely. And I, I've honestly really loved it because I think what that gave to me more than anything was the real ownership of me being responsible of my own circumstances of my own future. Right. It was like my trajectory was, was going to be based on how much I invested in myself. And that's the narrative I think that us as, as people sometimes fall over with. It's like, oh, well, this is the traditional route and we should take it. But it's like, no way, you know, like I, th- there's nothing to lose. We should totally just make the most of what we've got. And, you know, with technology really moving forward and opportunities and global networks, like, you know, we're, we're talking now, there's so much opportunity that if we're really ready to, to grasp it and run with it for a bit, and be curious with it. I think it's it's amazing. It's so much fun. Yeah. And what do you think that says about the mining industry in general and where it's headed? Do you have any thoughts on where we'll be in the next five to 10 years because of those growth opportunities? Well, wanted to have that conversation around what are you actually going to do? Because we know mostly, um, well, for Indigenous women here in Australia, there's a majority um, that participate at their very operational level. And of course, with automation com- coming along and already here, we, we're yet to really have that conversation of, well, what do we do now? You know, if we, if we live in these communities, do we get to stay here? How do we continue to survive? Um, if we've got, you know, homes and mortgages and car loans and all of that as well, these are huge financial commitments um, that we now need to continue to service. But how do we do that in the sense where it's you know, not so much pressure, you know, or, you know, how do we build that capacity in the meantime? So there's definitely a lot of opportunity, but I, I think it really comes down to access to education, you know, role models and all of that as well, and, and your own drive to want to succeed. There's a lot of ownership that we need to also understand that it's our responsibility to, to succeed. One trend that you touched on of automation, I mean, on the one hand, can bring so many opportunities because people who maybe aren't comfortable or interested in working in a traditional mining scenario, right? We think of like driving the big trucks, working in the pit, doing all of that stuff. 
may not be interested in that, but maybe working in a command center where you're controlling automated vehicles, that may be a very different and more appealing opportunity for some folks, right? And I know that's something we've talked a lot about in general in terms of having a more diverse participation in the industry, right? Technology can help attract that more diverse workforce, certainly for women. But on the other hand, you're right, like that also changes the dynamic in terms of local employment, right? Where mines before have really focused on hiring the local people in that community wherever they are. If you're doing things remotely, it kind of changes the dynamic on that, right? And that can be a huge challenge for local communities. Absolutely. Hugely so. And I think, you know, with that as well, it's, it, and it comes down to many things. Like, yes, there's access to education, but, you know, not forgetting that there's a lot of companies out there that have put together pathways for people to progress. But what we've found, and like certainly in our in our network and the, the people that I have around me is around how do we make sure that we're confident enough to speak up, right? And ask for like, okay, well, this is what firstly know our value, like this is what I'm worth. But secondly, like how do I progress? And you know, really having that commitment from your own self. Like, yes, we talk about mentors and mentors are important and role models. But at the end of the day, there's a huge responsibility that we need to make sure that we're recognizing and saying to ourselves, like, yes, I want to I want to get up and show up, show up for myself. You know, I want to get up and, and learn and grow into this business person. And it, and it wasn't like speaking from my own experience, it wasn't that simple or easy. You know, it was very visible in terms of my growth. I've, I've loved it. And I've had many amazing people along as well. But it's been a very good journey. But um, resilience, I think it comes down to. And um, yeah, having that honesty with yourself to want to grow. That was certainly the case for me. You know, I grew up in a small town in Maine, you know, very rural community here in the US. And never, I always tell people, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I always wanted to work for like big, stable companies. You know, I went to IBM first, and then I, I went to the Department of Defense, you know, <laughs> literally went to the government. You can't get much more bigger and bureaucratic, right? So I never would have thought as a young kid that I would want to be a business owner. And it is challenging if you don't grow up around those communities to even picture what that looks like. So even if you have a sense of, I want to be here, maybe, you know, professionally in a technical space it, or financially, it's hard to kind of visualize those steps of what you go through and be realistic about, you know, the challenges you're going to have along the way if you don't have people that you've grown up around that have gone through that and come out the other side. The best thing about technology and and networking online is that you do have access to information, you know, jumping on YouTube or jumping on uh, podcasts and listening to people like us in the sense, you know, that, that we're sharing our story. It really does give people some kind of idea that, yes, firstly, we're normal people and we've, we've achieved this much. But like secondly, as well, how they can take from that. I really learned, loved learning about other people and their growth. It definitely took me back to appreciating the fundamentals of education. You know, I never really liked reading books. I never really liked learning. But I've had to do that for my own personal growth. And I've actually appreciated that now that I'm at an older, at an older age. I, I love it. I love learning then are there things that are specific to working in this industry that have stood out to you? Definitely. I think really appreciating what and and understanding what the dynamics of this relationship is, right? What the traditional nature is and environment is and being mindful of the language that we use around around it. So when we think about describing it as male dominated as, you know, that just doesn't work together, right? Because we're saying, yes, it's male dominant and now we want to be all inclusive and diverse. I think it really comes down to uh, psychology, you know, to a little bit and, and the language that we use in terms of how we describe our experiences which then kind of mold this 
thing in our head around what we what our expectations are and how we continue to survive yeah so I definitely think without us being progressive and being open and wanting to grow more is to be mindful of everything that we do that influence our experience and then how we share that or promote that with other people as well I think that's a that, that's an important point for us to continue I certainly find that in in our industry in particular a lot of things that haven't changed very much since the time I've been in the industry the the last I would say two years do feel very different to me but there seems to be so much more openness in terms of the conversation around diversity and inclusion and there's been so much work done on how much better companies perform with a diverse and inclusive workforce and leadership. You know, a lot of that work has been done to say, look, here are the stats. You can choose not to believe it if you want, but this is the work that's been done. You know, and that's something Beatrice and I talk about quite a bit to where we've kind of moved past having to justify why a company should be diverse and inclusive, which at least feels refreshing to me. Maybe I've just stopped wanting to justify <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't that a beautiful thing about, about maturing though, really? You know, it's about you know, saying I'm comfortable with who I am. These, these are my beliefs and I'm okay with that, you know. And I really love that because we attract and we engage with other women or, or people who, who are on the same trajectory, which I really, really love. But to, to what you were saying before around the principles of business or the, the purpose behind businesses now is much more compassionate and, and open. I really love that. But I think there's another obligation there as well, a responsibility as us as participants or employees, understanding what our roles and responsibilities are, but also not limiting ourselves to just the confines of our businesses, right? Or industry, you know, it's about us saying, well, I want to continue to grow my mind and to, you know, really explore the world and bring it back to my daily experience and what I contribute to on a daily basis basis to my workmates or my workplace I think that's our responsibility and, and you know the internet is in, is amazing technology is amazing it's our responsibility as well to contribute to the workplace no I think that's such a great point because we oftentimes do talk so much about what companies are responsible for to their employees but in a sense that that personal ownership of what do I owe also, you know, the company that I'm a part of, the community I'm a part of, right? And growth is absolutely part of that. And investing in what you bring to your coworkers and your larger team is is so important. And I think that's if you if you're comfortable just staying where you are, that's fine, but it's certainly not going to lead to growth, right? And companies recognize that. Absolutely agree. And and I love that, you know, it really does take away that that um, notion of entitlement and uh, misunderstanding, and it really does uh, help us or encourage us to communicate more. Uh, I think that's one thing that I've definitely learned in my, my, my growth and my, my maturing as a business person now is really about communication, but such a reflection of my own self and my own strengths and weaknesses, right, and really appreciating that, but then also, you know, going out and growing what I need to as well. So it's so great to continue to be involved in the industry and to be there as well for, for other people who are ready to ask those questions or, you know, ready to take their journey on wherever they're going. Well, and speaking of questions, you know, if a lot of our listeners are new to the mining industry and they may not be familiar with maybe things that are unique to Australia in particular as a mining country, are there things that you think investors or, or people new to the industry should know about Australia, uh, whether they're evaluating a company that they're investing in, maybe what their you know work is with Indigenous communities and Indigenous women in, in particular? 
or, or just in general, you know, things that folks should be aware of and, and ask questions about? Definitely. And, and I think we've had the, the biggest questions, you know, really thrown at us, you know, especially from what happened a couple of years ago with Jagan Gorge. You know, that's a huge, huge impact across the globe and a huge question around what does Indigenous engagement actually look like here in Australia? And I think, you know, it's such an old conversation, honestly, Emily. It's, it's just around you know, really assessing it around, well, what are our social values? You know, is it to do with racism? Is it to do with all of these systems that have been in, put into place so many years ago that still still go up against minority groups who are here in Australia? So that conversation, we still continue to struggle to have and, and decipher it really and to start to really diffuse it. So we're still having that conversation. But definitely in terms and and the repercussions from that, we've really seen a growth in the businesses wanting to work together with Indigenous communities around how does shared value look like what does meaningful engagement and investment looks like look like um, we're picking up the conversation around ESG my biggest concern with that is making sure that the S in the ESG that we also tie that back to reconciliation action plans that we have in here in Australia um, and again that meaningful engagement and investment as well so making sure that the people are educated and informed and still feel that they're empowered to make change or to really meet their key deliverables as well in a very meaningful way. So a lot of questions to be asked. You know, we're, we're here in Australia, amazing, um, both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. So I'm very blessed to be part of both cultures, you know, the oldest culture in the world and, you know, really celebrating our, our heritage as well. So again, yes, it's about corporate social responsibility, but it's also about us as well as participants and as stakeholders to really think about, well, what can we actually do moving into the future? Can we be business owners? Can we be leaders? And and it's not a, really a question of can we be, it's like, how do I get there? Yeah, no. And, and I think uh, it's such a unique, but also so similar, like you said, to a lot of other other trends globally, right? And that one one phrase that I heard you use, rec- the reconciliation plans, I just wanted to tie into or get in a little deeper on that for listeners, because we talked about Canada's reconciliation approach uh, with Lana Eagle, another friend of mine who focuses on Aboriginal um, or Indigenous issues in Canada. Um, is the, That's the phrase that she prefers to use. And I'd be interested to know, what does that mean in an Australian context? Right, Because I think people hear that, like reconciliation, and they may not understand the specifics of, of what that means and why they should pay attention to it specifically when it comes to, to mining investment. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, what the government's really done with the Reconciliation Action, uh, well, Reconciliation Australia here, here in Australia is really try to put together a toolkit for businesses who are on the journey, right? So there's different stages. There's four different stages of, of your journey in terms of a, a business. And it's um, how do you work together, whether it be a local company or a national company, how do you work together to invest in the communities that you do operate in? So really trying to have that national approach, but really localized solutions, which is important. So I think more than anything, it does help people understand how to navigate this conversation. So again, if we go back to our social values and it's really emotionally charged and there's racism and misunderstanding and and all these really emotionally fueled things, if we have a toolkit to say, okay, well, we can take the first step and then the second step and the third step, well, that actually helps and that can really help us measure how far we've come, which is good. But there's different issues with that or different challenges because sometimes some of these companies don't have the capacity to to take on such a huge responsibility or huge plan. So then there's other plans that kind of feed into that as well. So if you have an Indigenous engagement strategy that addresses the size of your company now, that's a toolkit 
for you and you can invest in that now because you can afford it and you've got the man or the, the people power to do it. I think making this solution accessible and simple will help us really start to overcome some of the, the bigger challenges that we have. And is that something that um, if people want to learn more about that and how it works, that they could reach out to you and your group to kind of better understand that? Because that sounds like an amazing resource. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Look, we're always here to um, help assist, but also direct you as well to any other uh, facilitators or consultants that are in the area as well. Um, we're, we're developing something super, super exciting. So again, in our business growth, uh, we've registered a non-for-profit or non-government organization, which will kick off later on in the year. But what that will do for us is more around creating a digital library that houses all and as much as possible information around Indigenous stakeholders in industry globally. So really trying to bring together, you know, our information here in Australia. So if people want to access it and learn more about what's working, what's not working or what's been the past, then they can access that information. Or if people wanted to learn more about First Nation Canada or, you know, Latin America, there's access to that information. Because I think in saying with all these toolkits and these learnings, we, we don't have access to enough information for us to make informed decisions around, you know, our local community or what's happening nationally and for us to form a confident response to that. And, and you know, that comes back down to relationships and confidence in communication and, and all of that as well. No, and that what a wonderful tool, you know, to to use technology to be able to connect and and kind of expedite <laughs> that learning curve, I'm sure, or at least like you said, the communication and access to the information. I look forward to hearing more about that later in the year. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely excited to to kick that off, but more so, you know, we've really realized, um, you know, the question that you asked before around uh, what's unique around here is that there's so many things that are unique about so many different cultures around the world. We just don't have it in the one spot to go and, you know, research. I guess there's Google, obviously, but um, to have a digital library <laughs> that's for, you know, Indigenous content specifically to do with mining resources, extractives, we, we don't have that yet. So this is really cool. We're super excited to bring it, bring it abroad. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was kind of challenging one of the assumptions I guess I made and just in the time we've been talking that a lot of the challenges and the resources accordingly to support or, you know, facilitate working with indigenous groups was in a rural context. And I guess that that may be a really false assumption that it's not always in that context. And, and it could also be companies that are looking for, for that same participation in a, you know, in the cities, right? And in the more populated parts of Australia. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that I kind of came into the conversation assuming that, so that's probably not accurate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know what, definitely a, a contextual conversation, like you said, and, and to reflect back, and this is a very interesting experience that we did have that really kind of, for me, brought to light, holy moly, like, Different people think differently, right? Different Indigenous people think differently because of their past experiences. So we went to IMARC, which is one of our, our largest um, conferences here in Australia, so similar to PDAC and Indaba. Um, so that was two years ago when we could go out and, and engage in person. But there were protesters in front of the conference, right? And, you know, they it was really confronting because us as, you know, Indigenous women, we were going in and participating and bringing our conversation to the table. But we had protesters outside as well that were, you know, 
holding up the Aboriginal flag and, you know, really advocating for land rights and all of that, all of that as well, which, which definitely can be justified. But for us, you know, I guess we're participating in this conversation at different types of levels, I suppose, more than anything. But it was just very confronting for us and, and having that information hub is our contribution to saying, hey, you know what, this is definitely challenging and we've had a challenging history, but we can still participate into the future and this is what it can look like. So that's, yeah, that's something that we definitely want to address. And were the protesters in in that situation, were they Aboriginal? Were they Indigenous or were they holding up the flag you were talking about? Yeah, definitely. So, so both. We, we, there was a lot of a lot of people that were there. We, you know, we were, they were on the news nearly every single night. It was definitely a, a big thing here in Australia. But it, it's something that's that's important for us to continue to address. And for us as Indigenous women or Indigenous people in industry, it's definitely a tougher conversation because we you know we have to have to kind of balance and challenge our own values. You know, like I said before, it's just like these are cultural obligations. But this is for me to participate in mining will help me survive into my future through this aspect, yeah. No, I know in my in my role with Women in Mining USA or, or just being a, a woman in the industry, you know, certainly sometimes you, you get a lot of questioning from, from other women, like why would you even want to be in an industry that's so male-dominated, right? I mean, there are these perceptions, some of them accurate, some of them inaccurate about the industry. And so within within my own community, right, sometimes get confrontational interactions about why would you choose to do that, right? If the industry hasn't hit these milestones from a diversity perspective, why would you stay in it, right? Or why would you choose to participate in it? And I know for me personally, it's this idea that you can create a lot of change from within an organization or within an industry. That just made me reflect on that a little bit, you know, that that it can be really challenging, at least from my own personal context, to have to address that, especially when you are still dealing with the realities of, I'm sure, like you said, you know, racism and all these other negative issues that are still true, right? To have to also justify or, or explain to your community why why you're still supportive of the industry when it has made so many mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. And so true as well, because then when you come to work and it's a male dominated industry and then you deal with things like sexual harassment and, you know, and no progression moving forward, you know, it's, it's just such, you know, you need to be resilient as a person and you need to, you know, you, you wake up and you go to work and you, you deal with this environment, you know, you come home and you deal with your community and this is this environment or this, this is conversation. So it's always learning and growing. And I think, you know, we really need to take that on in a positive way where it's like, okay, well, yes, this is the, the circumstances, but how do I deal with it? And more so as well, what's in my control? Because it can be super overwhelming, as you know, right? Your personal growth, I know from my personal growth has been exponential because to be still performing here like to still be here and to still be pushing forward and to be growing I love that so much because it really does um, give me such adrenaline because it's it's tough it's challenging but it's a welcome challenge and that's what I really love about everything that I'm doing and all the people that are around me because I guess you know the people that you have around you are just so amazing and all you know just as supportive or can share an experience with you that just keeps you going and it keeps life life interesting really Yeah, and that's why I uh, I really appreciate your entrepreneurial spirit, right? And and going out there and starting starting businesses, having business ideas that you it's not a small thing to take an idea from an idea to something real, right? I mean, it's a, it's actually a really challenging process, or certainly is for me a lot of fun, and it's what I love doing. But it's I can appreciate 
you know, when other people have an idea of, hey, I think this would be a great solution to a problem or, or a way to bring people together. Turning that into reality is is really tough and takes a unique skill set. So kudos to you for doing that. I personally think that it's folks bringing more entrepreneurial inertia and ideas to the mining industry that's going to create the most growth and improvement. Because when you I always tell people, when, when you start your own company, you have two unique opportunities. One, you can give yourself whatever title you want. But two, you get to create your own team to literally be the change that you want to see in the industry. You can be the company that reflects and, and is what you want to see in the industry. And, and that's a really unique opportunity for folks that are choosing to, to start something new. Absolutely. And I love that so much because it really brought, back mem- brought me back to memories when I first started this conversation with, it, it just kept on attracting women, right? All these women were like calling me up and Facebook messaging me saying like, how can I be on board? And it was so beautiful because it gave birth to something that was already there. So definitely acknowledging that there were already women in their own Uh, regions and locations talking about this and doing this on a daily but for us to actually create the platform to say and you know the the platform was Facebook our Facebook page and for other women to be like hey you know I really want to be part of it but also for the men as well to say well how can I support you but then also a call to action for us to say well how can we invite men into the the conversation as well and create this into a a very good community so that's us moving forward into this year as well, which is super exciting and it's tied to the library and all of that as well. But yeah, so true in terms of what you need to be and, and who you need to be and how truthful you need to be with yourself every single day to say, you know, I can do this. I can do it. And look at yourself in the mirror and say, you're my only competition. You know, stuff like that really is true. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And I used to say, you know, it, it really kicked in for me in the first few months of, of being an entrepreneur. I realized, you know, oh, wait, if I don't wake up and make this happen, like literally nobody else is going to do it for me. <laughs> like, oh, okay. No, I'm, I have to figure it out. And I've got to reach out to people who can help me certainly, but you know, I, I can't just sit here clicking refresh on my, my inbox, right. And expect contract to magically show up. So that is on one hand, incredibly terrifying, but also incredibly empowering, right. If that excites you. And if that's what people, you know, if, if what you're drawn to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what we need to think about as well, you know, definitely here in Australia, we're one of the highest paying demographics in any one industry, right? So we've got the disposable income there to invest in ourselves. It's always been like, well, am I good enough to invest in myself? You know, how am I going to do it? And so that was one of my biggest things for me. And one of the biggest things that helped me in the very beginning, because I could show up to anywhere I wanted to off my own back, you know, and and not saying that in, in a way to be um, anything like that, but, you know, I needed to show up to myself for myself and I didn't quite know what the hell I was doing. Honestly, to be completely honest, I just kept on showing up. Like people were like, come, come over and come and talk to our panel or, or come and, you know, come to our band. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll come down. I've got four days off. I'll just fly down. Excellent for my flight, you know, my flight points, my Qantas frequent flyer points. Amazing. <laughs> but, um, but it was that freedom that I gave myself permission to have to invest in myself, which was really important and made the biggest difference for me to be where I am now. And I really hope that other women who are out there, other people that, you know, are self-doubting themselves or anything, just to, no way, just invest in yourself and believe in yourself, definitely. I got some advice very early on in my career um, at IBM that no one's ever going to care about your career more than you do. 
And that's, I mean, you can have the most wonderful mentors and allies uh, in the world and bosses and spouses, you know, whoever it is that, that you think, you know, is really invested in your career, it's probably true, but you're still going to care more about it than they do. If you're not kind of out there investing in yourself, then, you know, other people can't and won't follow. Absolutely. And, and that was such a great point that you just made there as well, like with our spouses. And I think we don't give well, I don't, I know I don't give credit enough to the support that I have at home, but I think everything that I've learned externally really is a reflection of my internal relationship that I have with myself and in my home, really having, um, you know, if you don't love, you're the only one that's going to love yourself the most, you know, and, and that is so important because it, for me, it really has amplified everything, you know, in terms of turning up for myself and making sure that I am there firstly invested and firstly loving myself and, and all of that, honestly, I know it might be often a little tangent, but I think that is something that's very important that we don't acknowledge enough that our personal circumstances and our relationships and our values are reflected through our business participation, but also, you know, obviously through our work and that as well, but um, so important. No, and I think it's something that probably, uh, and it, it may may not be unique to women. I'm sure men have this situation as well, and people across the gender spectrum. But you know, I think for women in particular, those dynamics do have a huge impact. You know, I think it's important to recognize that in general, women do still have to make decisions about work life balance, right? And especially when it comes to kids, I certainly, like I talked about earlier my decision to become an entrepreneur was because of my personal relationships and how I wanted to structure my life. And I think we, at some points, we've gone too far to the extreme where we, we don't talk about that stuff. And one of the positives I've seen come from COVID actually has been that everybody now has to acknowledge what they're dealing with at home, right? Because they're oftentimes homeschooling kids or, or, you know, multiple people working from home. And like you, you hear a lot more, or I do, about what people have to balance in working in this kind of post-COVID world, which has been really unique. But I absolutely agree. I mean, I always say, the, you know, I would not be where I am today if it weren't for my husband, because he calls me on my own self-defeating BS. <laughs> if, if you'd met my husband, he's 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 pretty very direct, you know, former military and, and law enforcement. Stop being such a chick. Just get over it and go do it, you know, like that kind of thing. So it, it is, it's important to have that support or, or understand where you can get that support at home as well, if you're looking to do this kind of stuff. Definitely. Absolutely. And it really, you know, brings, you know, down the path of accountability and responsibility. And those things are tough to deal with, you know, when you're, when, when you're in an unsafe environment and people tell you that, what are you doing? You, you should be better or you can do better. That definitely, like for me, in a safe space when I've been told that with people that I trust, I, I take that on board. I'm like, okay, yep, gotcha. It's, yeah, it's amazing. You know, the great friendship groups that you have, the, the women that were on board, I were very early on, amazing, amazing women, strong women as well, and definitely there for me and, and I there for them. But it's a beautiful, loving family relationship with a lot of truth. No, that's so important because I know even in the, in my whim, participation. You know, there's always this discussion of when you gather together as a group, like, should you be 
allow people to vent, right, and share like the negative aspects, like you said, the sexual harassment, the discrimination, the frustrations with things going on? Or should we just be focused on solutions, right? Let's just keep focused on that. And I, I, I personally think it's so important. And it may just be having a cocktail after the meeting or a cup of coffee off to the side. But part of what the women in mining community provides for me is the opportunity to, to vent <laughs> and, and share with women um, or allies who can relate and, and understand what's going on and provide that truth. Like, yeah, Emily, that might have sucked, but suck it up. That, that kind of truthful and accountable community is really important. And some of the most supportive people that I've met in the industry have been through that. Absolutely. And, and I really love the fact that we can be actively listen, listening because not everyone has your same experiences, right? Especially being, you know, leaders or be business owners. Like, well, for me, anyway, I'm, I make decisions on my own experience, right? And my own expectations. But if I'm not actively listening to the network that I have around me, then how can I create solutions that they can also be part of or they can start to drive? And so that's a very important lesson, has been a lesson for me for a very long time is making sure that I slow down enough to listen and open the door for people to also come to the table as well um, and then secondly what I really love about um, the network that we have is that support and that truth but also saying okay well yes this is the the problem that we're dealing with but then let's come up with a solution so listening for, for me has been amazing but then saying okay well let's let's create shared value and come up with a solution and reach out to our extensive network because they have solutions too that we probably don't know about mm-hmm. well and I think that's Maybe some some lessons learned even that could be pulled from from the reconciliation framework that you talked about earlier, right? Like what are what are the tools for that conversation also? I mean, internally and externally, you know, like when when there is conflict, when there is an issue that you're working past as an organization or as a team, right? What are those steps, one, two, three, four, that can allow people to move through that process? Because I think equally, it's something that can be really intimidating for folks to have that open conversation and and for certainly for organizations, right? We hear it all the time. Like, I don't know the right words to use. I'm worried about saying the wrong thing. You know, all of those concerns are really valid and having more tool sets available for people to have those conversations, I think is only an asset and a positive thing. Yes, totally agree with that. And I think, you know, it's that vulnerability that leadership definitely need to lead, you know, demonstrate and lead by example to create that trusting relationship where people can actually share their their most, you know, inner feeling around, you know, being an employee or part of the team and what their real concerns are. And I think, you know, it really goes back to then the leader Again, you know, everyone that's participating in this very inclusive conversation, questioning their own values about what they have at home, because I think what we do do well at work is we definitely incubate an environment, which is perfect, right? But we go back out to society and it's not perfect. So it's always that balance in your headspace again, you know, especially well, going back to, the, to that your, your headspace around that, it's more of challenging your, your social values. But then when you go on site and you're isolated for, you know, two weeks, three weeks, a month away from your family, you, it's just a different environment. And I think being mindful of that as well and how us as people balance that and enjoy our time on site, that really strike an imbalance there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's actually like a completely different culture. It's its own community with its own social values, right? And and kind of rules about how people operate. I've talked about this before in terms of my my personal experience working in Afghanistan. 
in remote locations on military bases, right? Being away from home for months at a time and the unique community and culture that comes up around that, right? Working overseas. I've never done, you know, fly in, fly out work, but I would imagine it's very much the same, you know, being on site for weeks at a time together. And you do have to have acknowledged that it's a completely different culture. And again, going back home can be really challenging, right? And going back and forth between the two worlds. Definitely. No, it definitely does present some challenges. But I, I think we can definitely learn a lot from that as well. And, you know, coming back to automation, how does that then look when the numbers of people on site start to decrease? You know, firstly, where do they go to in terms of opportunities for their jobs? If they need to readapt back into into society, and, you know, these are real concerns and I really hope people start to talk about that a lot more. I really hope organizations start to talk a lot more as well um, because that's been a big concern for us and that's why I've been so active in building my own business capacity because this is how I'm going to, to survive, you know. I know that in the corporate ladder, it may be very different, but in terms of what drives me to be in, in corporate or big business, not as much as creating solutions as an entrepreneur. So I really love that and that's why I've been so proactive. So I really hope people are starting to address what they're or where they're going to soon as well. Oh, yeah, no, and, and that's a great lead into the question I've been asking all of my guests, which is if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the mining industry you know, what would it be? What would you love to see just magically happen tomorrow? Oh, wow, that is a very good question. <laughs> I'm, I am excited about innovation. I am excited about digitalization and, and robotics and space mining. I really love that. So I think access to education around stepping up into those really progressive industries, you know, like I want people in the bush to know about space mining and how they can start participating now. That, that would be my magic wand wish. No, that's a great one. I love that because I'm, I'm a huge sci-fi geek and I, I'm following the, the space mining advancement too. I, I think that's a wonderful one. Yeah, to get because it's such a it's so true. You know, we want people to be excited about the future of mining, right? Not just where we are now, right? But get them invested in, in the future. Well, thank you so much for coming on the rocks, even though we didn't drink anything on the rocks today. And I look forward to staying in touch and hearing about all the wonderful initiatives and, and entrepreneurial opportunities that you'll be working on over over the next year. And uh, look forward to, to hearing more soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Emily. It's been a pleasure. And take care, everyone over there. And we'll see you, definitely see you soon. Thank you to our guest and my colleague, Florence Drummond, for joining us on this episode of On the Rocks. To learn more about Florence and her work, visit her on LinkedIn at Florence Drummond and Indigenous Women in Mining and Resources Australia at their website, iwimra.com. For more insights on new mining projects, mining news, and more, go to our website at www.prospectorportal.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Nugget. Thanks for joining us on The Rocks. If you enjoyed the episode, click the subscribe button and please leave a review. Until next time, keep your glasses full and your ice cold. Cheers. Cheers.